0: Hey, what is happening, my friends? Welcome back to the Chance Pod. I'm your host, Sarah, who, as it turns out, is very much anxious and not just depressed. Uh, to which Mishi responded, we knew this. Today we've got chapter 65, 66, which is Tarot, followed by the next tournament battle. Content warning today for chapter 66, i DEFINITELY depressed. Uh, also it probably includes, I mean, sorry, no, it does include sort of a brief panic-slash-anxiety attack. The thing is, I I don't fully know what the difference is, um, but it's one of those. I do think chapter 65 should be fine. All right, here we go. Chapter 65, Tarot. Thomas wanted to get to his battle 40 minutes early.
1: Just in case,
0: he said. That's nearly an hour. You aren't even the one who randomly skips around in time.
1: It's only two matches. It won't be that long. I just gotta be ready.
0: Which left me wandering the festival on my own again. I meandered past a ring toss and a stand selling tukbuki, which is definitely not a handheld food and thus kind of confused me with its presence, uh, before I found myself in front of a small tent, purple and sprinkled with stars. A sign planted in the soil next to the entrance read, Future Sight. Want to get a reading? I turned. It was the girl I just battled. I, uh, I just got here. I was just gonna get mine done. Come in with me." She beckoned, and I hesitantly followed her between the flaps of the tent. When my eyes adjusted to the dim light, I found myself in front of a round table and a smiling woman in dangly gold earrings and a hooded cloak. Welcome. Have a seat, she said, gesturing at the bench in front of the table. Renee and I sat ourselves down. Who's first? The woman asked. Rene and I looked at each other. You go first, Renee said. Uh, sure. The fortune teller nodded and pulled out a deck of cards. She shuffled them normally, then spun them in small piles between her hands, cartwheeling them between her fingers with life ease. Somehow, they all collected in a stack on the table. She flipped the top three onto the deep violet tablecloth, turning them around so they all faced me. I couldn't quite read them in the dark.
2: Ah, very good. Have you done a tarot reading before? No. All right, in front of me, I have a three-card spread, which tells your past, present, and future. I nodded. Sure, okay. In your past, we have the Cresselia card, which represents the moon and joyous dreams. Her presence on this table means that in the past, you lived a life of hope, to a point of dreaminess. I assume correctly in stating you were once happily in love...
0: Uh, I, I guess so?
2: Indeed, as in a dream. And then, you woke up, shaken awake, it seems, given that your present is embodied by Geratina, a being of chaos and shadows.
0: In her imagery of shadows, I saw a pair of glowing red eyes and a dead body. I shivered slightly. Garatina exists in two
2: forms, depending on the world he occupies suggesting your lover betrayed you for another, taking on a different persona in a different space.
0: I blinked. I mean, I could see how that might be true. Lucas was a different person now than the first time around, but if the implication was that he cheated on me...
2: Which brings me to the future.
0: While the other cards were hard to see, the illustration on this one was easier to make out. A solitary human, dark against a snowstorm, with a draconic figure standing next to them the champion. She looked at me seriously.
2: You will find a battle awaiting you at the end of your road to victory. In order to succeed in love,
0: there is something you will need to triumph over. I exhaled. I had to get over my feelings for Lucas. I'd heard it from Thomas and from the thoughts I'd repressed in my own head, but hearing it from a fortune teller hit differently. There will be a point of conflict, between yourself and his
2: other lover. My jaw dropped. What? Surely you've felt the tension
0: already? There are only two ways this can go. I looked back down at the card. I'd have to fight, Don for Lucas? How would that even work? Not to worry, though. You'll triumph in the end. The fortune teller smiled. Any questions? So many questions, I thought. No, I think we're good. Thank you. Renee cut in, standing up.
2: Would you also
0: No, like- she just wanted her future red. I'm good. Thanks again. She pulled me to my feet and I stumbled out of the tent with her. So that happened. Renee said when we were outside. Does she really want me to confront her? I wondered, squinting against the sudden sunlight. I dunno. It was a pretty bullshit reading.
1: She didn't even ask you what she wanted a reading for. I what? Like she went straight for love life, but I mean, what were you thinking about going into the reading? Career, family,
0: academics? Uh, I didn't know there were categories. I thought it was just about my future generally. Okay, so, like your life overall? Yeah.
1: Renee thought about it. Okay, so, first of all, Cresselia came out inverted, and she shouldn't have flipped that. The inversion means you're coming out of a dark place, not a place of hope. Giratina could be about duality, but more likely it's about chaos, meaning you're probably going through a time of instability or confusion in the present. And then the champion isn't a catch-all for victory any more than a volatile means you're gonna die. I don't know if you saw the illustration on that card. Yeah, the trainer in the snow? Right. You gotta consider the variations in the cards themselves in tarot. This one's got the champion. Sort of becoming one with nature, you could say. You might overcome the figurative of Garatina, but you also might join it, or it joins you. The champion card wants you to consider the instability
0: the way you'd consider a powerful foe. I frowned. Okay. Interesting. Renee grinned. Am I more wrong than her? No, you're... That... I mean, I don't know if the future card is right, but the first two are dead on. I also couldn't figure out how to apply the champion card to the future, given how many things felt unstable in my life at that moment.
1: The future card is just advice. Renee admitted. Things might not end up that way. It's all
0: up to you still. And I don't have to fight Don. Kiram, no. Do what you want. Thomas's battle with Andrew Nguyen was a two-on-two double battle. I sat by his family in the front row.
2: So, how do you know Tom?
0: Daveed asked. Oh, we just... We ran into each other a few times a few months ago. He helped me out in Jubilife, I helped him navigate of Forest... Um, at some point we started traveling together. I said cautiously, hoping he wouldn't jump on that fact. He did, but only briefly. Oh? Then, dropping the teasing tone.
2: So, you're responsible for his massively increased badge rate?
0: I mean, I'm not responsible for how easily he beat them all, I disclaimed. But... Yeah, I pushed him to take on the gyms faster. Naveed nodded, looking back at the battlefield. Thomas and his opponent were walking on from opposite ends of the arena.
2: He's doing a lot better than the last time I saw him. He was really torn up about April for a long time, but something in these last few months has helped him out a lot.
0: It might just be the new environment. Naveed shrugged.
2: I don't think it's that.
0: The surface of the battlefield retreated, revealing an aquatic arena with floating platforms. Thomas took one look at the pool and smiled, pulling two Pokéballs from his pocket.
2: I don't know how you did it, but I'm glad you did. We were pretty worried about him. So, thanks.
0: It wasn't just me, I protested, thinking of Mesprit, the literal deity of emotion.
2: I didn't say it was,
0: he said with a grin.
2: I'm just thank you for your part in it.
0: Thomas threw Oliver and Esther onto the field. As soon as the battle began, Thomas called for Esther to use Discharge right into the water. Oliver was completely fine, ground duel type, but Andrews, Sharpedo, and Dugong didn't stand a chance. I skipped backward at one point, which meant I watched him easily win twice. Navita and I and the rest of Thomas' family cheered him on as he officially moved on to round three. We spent the rest of the day alternately wandering the festival and watching other trainers' battles. Don and Lucas breezed through round two. I went and watched Atana Bing, my original matchup, absolutely destroy her opponent in battle, I wasn't sure what this meant about how my battle with her would have gone, or what it meant that time and chance had undone our matchup. I kept thinking about the tarot reading. Not the fortune tellers, so much as Renee's interpretation. Instability could have meant my relationships with other people, which all felt precariously balanced at the moment, through disagreement or ambiguous feelings or jealousy or whatever the fuck was going on with me and Lucas, or else it could have meant just the whole situation with Team Galactic and the fate of the world generally but the obvious answer was my spotty relationship with time, which was instability itself. I wasn't sure what the champion card was trying to say about joining time, aside from probably just me needing to find an anchor again. Right now though, fortune telling in the midst of time jumps that kept some timelines and rewrote others was making me wonder if the champion was something I could achieve in any timeline or just one. As far as instability went, I didn't face any more of it that afternoon or evening, Although there's a chance I missed some of Dawn's battle, she was suddenly facing a Dragonite instead of a Charizard. Though I might have just zoned out and missed the transition from one winged orange creature to another. I hung out with Thomas and his family for the most part, but also spent some time with Ashley De Leon and her friends. We watched the main arena's last battles of the day, none of which were the same lineups I remembered. Culminating in Tim Raines, the guy who had beaten me in the quarterfinals in Celestic, versus Sean Obi, who'd lost me in round one of the same tournament. Sean won. His Mammoth Swine taking out Tim's Flareon with a well timed earthquake in a great moment of all my expectations of the tournament flying out the window. The crowd filtered out of the stadium, leaving the trainers behind. Round three matchups would be released at eight thirty, giving us ten minutes to wait. Heroic interim music played above. Thomas found us. Hey, he said, taking the empty seat next to me. I did my best to ignore over analyzing the fuzzy feeling that settled in my chest. Hey, so I've been thinking. Yeah. Can you, like, help me keep track of my battle details?" Something in his face softened. He knew I was asking in taste of time jumps, specifically. Of course. His response, two words with the world of, I was already planning to, and, yes of course I care enough to help you, you didn't even need to ask, behind them, melted my insides in an all too familiar way. Cool, thanks, I said mildly. Trainers filtered in from the other three stadiums, filling out the stands. In a few minutes, the music faded as Marianne walked on and began talking into a microphone, congratulating us on our previous rounds and hyping us up for the next… or I assume she did because I missed most of it. When I landed back in time, the lineups were already on the back wall screens. I squinted, hunting for mine. Thomas was up against a trainer named Ethan Sai in the 10am block Platinum Arena. I poked fun of him for it, and he laughed but seemed tense. Confused, I kept looking. I found Lucas next, up against Evelyn Myers. Oh. Fuck! Chapter 66 Spirals. The world slowed down around me that night. I mean, both literally, shout out to Dioga, and figuratively, shout out to the random number generator that had paired me with Lucas for round three, sending me into a depressive spiral. I won't bore you with all the details of the Spiral, for once, am I right? (laughs) Um, but some of the concerns were... 1. Only one of us would pass this round, which was not a terribly impressive round. Top 30% of the tournament, which is okay, but we both made it to round 4 last time. 2. What if this somehow worsened our relationship, or made it harder for us to recover? Two parts A through Z were variations on-slash-reasoning for Concern 2, and three, Arceus, this sucks. I checked in with Thomas a few times to see if time skips had gotten the chance to backtrack and change things. They had not. The closest thing to change was one point when Thomas misspoke and said 1020 instead of 1120. He corrected himself quickly, and I continued to be terribly disappointed. Time moving slower might have meant I got more sleep. Oh good, you might think. Evelyn got plenty of sleep for tournament day 2. Wrong. I got too much sleep and woke up tired and also more depressed than I was when I went to bed. Instead of the usual nothingness, I kind of just wanted to cry for no reason all morning. Luckily I was still somewhat mobile rather than stuck and time was moving at regular speed. Unluckily, I now really, really didn't want to do this battle. I sat through Thomas's round 3 with my hood up and earbuds in. The song playing in my ears, I, I had the same one I'd listened to before battling Renee on repeat, had a kind of melancholy optimism to it. One that wasn't trying to convince me things were great right now, but held me steady at a slightly buoyed level. At some point, Swin fought a Beautifly, and at another, Cassie was taken down by a Doug trio, but I wasn't paying close attention so much as worrying about the battle I had in an hour. All I really knew was Thomas beat Ethan Sy. Who knows? I thought bitterly. Maybe I'll get a time skip that rewrites that, too. But time wasn't skipping around that morning. Maybe Diago realized I felt shitty enough as it was. I didn't much feel like exploring the festival in the hour before my battle, so I went early to the arena and sat in the green room. Thomas came with me, even though I told him he didn't have to. I didn't tell him I was grateful for it. When 11.20 arrived, I sighed and removed my earbuds. Goodbye, music that's keeping me afloat, I said. Standing up from the couch.
1: If it's keeping you afloat, why not keep it in?
0: Thomas suggested. I'm about to battle.
1: Yeah, but with your hood up, no one can tell you're wearing earbuds. Besides, you communicate with your Pokemon silently.
0: By the time I was out on the battlefield, I'd plugged my earbuds back in and pulled up my hood, taking on the persona of an AC teen. I just needed hair dye or black eyeshadow or something. I took one ear out for the referee's battle announcements, as if it mattered when I was about to jump around in time like a spooked Meowth. This will be a
2: four-on-four double battle between Lucas Tristan of Twinleaf Town and Evelyn Myers, also of Twinleaf Town. Substitutions will be made as necessary. The battle will conclude when all Pokemon on one side are unable to battle. Trainers, are you ready?
0: Lucas nodded. I gave a thumbs up, putting the second earbud back in. Battle, begin! Trust, hope, it's yours. Lucas wordlessly released his Glilian Kadabra onto- No, correction, his Alakazam. He'd evolved. I swore I'd seen him as a cadaver within the last 24 hours, which means he and Don had done their trade mid-tournament. Evelyn, ça va? I heard Def say. I'm fine, I said, blinking rapidly to clear my eyes. Trust, take the Glalie out. Hope, avoid ice beams. Hope took this to mean blast off immediately, rocketing to the border between the arena's roof and the sky. Trust blasted flame across the battlefield. The glaley easily dodged, but didn't realize Trust had run up behind his own flamethrower to throw a mock punch at him. Trust' fists connected, sending Glalie spinning through the air. Nice job, Trust. Indeed, thanks. Def informed me. Trust froze suddenly, held in place by a pink glow. Lucas' Alakazam brandished his spoons, raising him in the air and slamming him back down. Ah, shit! Get him with flame. Trust launched fire at Alakazam. Glalie returned and conjured a light screen in front of them both, thinning the fire attack. Alakazam took the hit, still holding on to Trust and raised him up again. Hope shockwave. From way up in the sky came a bolt of electricity, which passed through the light screen and barely affected Alakazam. If Lucas said something, I couldn't hear it through my earbuds. Maybe this wasn't a good idea. Okay, okay, um, Hope keep blasting shockwaves, the light screen will run out eventually. Trust, same for you with flamethrower. Hope's shockwaves kept chipping away at Alakazam's stamina. Trust tried to use flamethrower, but the psychic cold on him turned him away from his opponents. He struggled in midair, trying to turn back around or at least reach the ground, to no avail. Glalie rushed forward, hitting Trust square in the back with a headbutt before retreating to where Trust couldn't reach him with Flindrower. Try and get out of there with Flamewheel? Trust tried. He let loose the proper flames from his mouth and tried to tuck his body forward, but the attempts to perform a move didn't let him out of Alakazam's grasp. The pink grip on him flared. Trust let out a yell and I had a sudden, vivid flashback of a boy held up by Psychic in a cave. I panicked and lost my grip on the battle. I didn't know what to do as Alakazam slammed Trust into the ground and held him there, face-up, Or as Glalie shot into the rock battlefield like a meteor, violently shaking the ground Trust was completely pressed against. Glalie rose back up and hovered over Trust, who blasted flame upwards right as Glalie fell on his chest. The referee signaled and shouted what I knew was just, Trust is unconscious, pick another Pokemon. I called him back, whispering, Sorry, Trust. It was at this point that I snuck a look at Lucas. I know, stop being distracted by the boy you like, Evelyn. But... He had a soft but confident look on his face, because he was already ahead, and it was the least closed off I'd seen him in what felt like months, and- "'Shall I go out next?' Kerr said, interrupting my downward spiral. "'Yeah.' Kerr was out before I even threw her ball. "'Who first? "'Um, Glalie.' Alakazam was not a threat to her. Kerr dashed forward, blasting a quick burst of dark energy at Alakazam to throw him off before launching herself at the Glalie. She latched her jaws onto a ridge in Glalie's icy mask, fangs emanating dark energy. Instead of fighting her off, Glalie shot ice into the sky. Hope, look out! Hope dodged the ice, but not the electricity that followed it. (sighs) shit. Alakazam knew shockwave too. Stunned, Hope faltered. The next ice beam hit. Ker blasted raw aura energy through her teeth, which damaged Glalie enough to make him sink to the ground, but couldn't stop the ice beam from crystallizing around one of Hope's wings. Hope spiraled downward, gaining momentum as she fell. Hope, shake it off. aura sphere it off of you." I saw a few aura fly away from her. The structure of Hope's body made aiming for her own wing nearly impossible, I realized. She continued to fall. I debated whether to just call her back. She wasn't falling as hard as last time, but I really didn't want to let her hit the ground. But then I realized she'd spun toward the stands, and was about to nose-dive into- Hope, return, I said, pulling her out before she could hit the audience members already bracing for impact. That was another forfeit for Hope. I took a second to breathe in the warm synth chords playing in my ear. Okay. It'll be okay. I scanned the battle, which had paused to wait for me. Kerr had let go of Glalie in the interim. I'd been unsure of how I wanted the battle to go before, but now, halfway to losing to Lucas, I suddenly realized how badly I actually wanted to win. To prove my strength and the strength of my team. To prove I wasn't immobilized by a damn boy. To prove I could be smack in the middle of a depressive episode and still put up a fight. All right," I said, throwing a pokeball. We're back. Def, you're up. The second Def appeared, the Glalie rushed forward, dark energy glistening in his teeth. I gave Def instructions and he multiplied, flanking the battlefield with double-team gallades. Alakazam shot a shockwave at Kerr, who braced herself with a thin purple glow, an aura shield. Glalie rushed through Def's copies one at a time, vaporizing each as he passed through. The fifth one he reached suddenly hit upward with a night slash. Sending him spinning in the air, an easy target for the aura sphere Kerr then blasted him with. He came down hard, crashing into the wall around the battlefield. Lucas recalled his clearly. Great, okay. One down, three to go. No room for slippage, still no time to jump, surprisingly. I smiled when he let his houndoom out. Kerr, focus on aura. Def, reinforce your double team and use Fury Cutter. Additional Galades appeared around the battlefield, all their swords glowing a lighter green than usual half teleported to Alakazam, half to Houndoom, all attacking. Houndoom spat an ember around him, erasing his five copies. Kur had taken advantage of the wall of Gallades to approach, and now she blasted a point-blank orosphere in his face. He recoiled and lunged with fire in his jaws. Death, meanwhile, had been one of the Gallades attacking Alakazam. Alakazam teleported out from between the Gallades. The Gallades teleported to him again and attacked with another fury cutter. This time, Alakazam shot a shadow ball at one of them, Rather than vanishing, the Galaid stumbled back, all the others disappearing. Alakazam blasted a second shadow ball, then a third, advancing on Def, who'd half deflected the attacks with psychic energy and his swords. Alakazam brandished his spoons again, and Def was seized by a hot pink glow. Kerr, over here! Kerr, who was sparring with Houndoom, glanced over and immediately shot a shadow ball at Alakazam. Alakazam levitated himself into the air, dodging while maintaining his grip on Def. Houndoom managed to grab Kerr between jaws dripping with electricity, lifting and shaking her in a move I recognized as Dawn's. There was an explosion of violet energy, an aura shield used offensively, as Kerr forced herself from Houndoom's mouth. He staggered back, looking pained, and she leaped forward with an aura sphere in front of her. A blur of green and pink slammed into her from the side, knocking her away from Houndoom. Kerr and Def tumbled together, rolling to a stop. Alakazam ready to Shadow Ball. Houndoom charged fire in his mouth. Brace yourselves. Two hemispheres rose from them at the same time. One violet, one pink, merging together in a stronger bubble of both colors, protecting them with aura and whatever it was Def had just figured out. Not psychic energy, it held steady against Shadow Ball. Def took a second to heal Kerr's bite wounds, with life Dew, while the attacks bounced harmlessly off their shields. I gave them a moment to breathe, watching the protect carefully. Def. I told him, in psychic language, what I wanted him to do. Kerr, keep the protect up for a sec. A beat later, Def teleported behind Alakazam and swiped at him with a pair of night slashes. Alakazam teleported elsewhere, pursued by a magical leaf that Def sent his way. Houndoom was still trying to get through Curse Protect, fixated on the Umbreon dancing around tauntingly behind the shield. Alakazam teleported again, but the magical leaves changed course mid-flight. Magical leaf does not miss, folks. Def followed the hit by teleporting to Alakazam once more and delivering a final night slash to the face. Alakazam fell. I let out a breath. We were even now. Mostly. Sort of. I mean, Def and Kerr were damaged, it was just it, it, it was 2-2 now. Had I still not had a time jump? Lucas's final pick was his Lucario, who materialized on the field and immediately launched an Orosphere at Kerr, who'd just emerged from the Protect. Kerr was too busy dodging the Houndoom chasing her to evade it, and it threw her sideways. She rolled to her feet and recovered just in time to blast Houndoom with an Aura as he approached. He snarled and threw himself at her, getting in the way of a second blue Aura from the Lucario. Handum fell. Kerr was looking battered, but was still up. Take that back seat for a sec, Kerr. Catch your breath. Dodge things if you need to. Def teleported behind Lucario, who ducked under a psycho cut and struck the ground with two closed fists. The battlefield shook, knocking Kerr off her feet. She struggled to stand back up. Lucario lashed backward with a spiked hand, jabbing Def in the shoulder before blasting yet another aura sphere at Kerr. She surrounded herself with her own aura in defense, and when the blue met the violet, they merged around her. Kerr ran forward, blazing with swirling indigo aura, and Def slashed with Psycho Cut. Lucario countered Def with close combat, but became too involved in sparring to evade Kerr's aura-based attack. Kerr barreled into Lucario, knocking him back. He retaliated by placing a palm on her hand and channeling fighting energy through. There was a burst of orange light, and Kerr was down. Thanks, Kerr, I said, pulling her back in. Hey, Def? Yes? What do you say we show this Lucario what your psychic armor can do? I just about heard him smile. Avec joie. Lucario approached. Def encased his full body in psychic energy as they locked each other in combat. The two were eerily in sync. Between Def's psychic anticipation of Lucario's moves and what I assumed was Lucario's or anticipation of Def's, they mirrored each other perfectly. Neither was landing a blow except on the other's limbs. Lucario's fists hit Def's swords, Def's leg kicked Lucario's knee. In terms of timing, they were evenly matched but type advantages added up in the end. Lucario was breathing hard by the time Def finally really landed a blow, a psycho cut right to the chest. Lucario toppled to the ground, and I was about to tell Def to step back up and heal himself for a sec when I realized Lucario wasn't getting back up. The ref gestured to indicate I'd won. Def, great job, I said, recalling him. Merci. It was the first time in a while I'd had a battle without any time skips, which boosted my mood a bit. Lucas and I walked to the middle to shake hands. I pulled on my earbuds in case he wanted to talk, but he didn't have anything to say. He just smiled in a hollow way that I didn't understand. Sure he'd lost, but it, it was just me. He, he'd lost to me before, in a tournament even. There was no reason for the look on his face. It didn't sit right with me. Upon exiting through the green room, I crossed the arena concourse. I wove through the small crowd of spectators leaving and entered the stands, looking for Lucas. A few recognized and congratulated me, but I didn't linger with them long. I spotted him on the far side of the stadium, already leaning against the arena's glass outer wall, his hands in his pockets. I stopped walking. Maybe he wouldn't want to see me right now? As I hesitated, Dawn appeared. She walked over to Lucas and said something. He responded. They conversed for a moment. And the expressions on both their faces, kind of a sadness on Lucas's, something I couldn't define on Dawn's, felt like something I shouldn't have seen. Dawn gestured outward with her arms, then hugged him. I winced for him instinctively, he hated being touched. But when I saw his arms wrap around her in return, it became clear that the pain was only mine. And then she was gone. I was several steps behind where I'd been, Lucas was standing with his hands in his pockets. You could stop it said a voice in my head. I watched Dawn emerge from the crowd again. You have the chance to disrupt them before it happens. I saw them talk for a bit, with the same expressions on their faces. It's you or her, Evelyn. I couldn't tear my eyes away, but I didn't move toward them either. And once again, I watched the embrace unfold between a girl who loved a boy, and a boy who sure as fuck didn't love me, knowing I couldn't bring myself to interfere. I I, I couldn't do that to them. Besides, I thought, as I turned to leave, it would mean nothing in the long run. Thanks for listening! Thomas is voiced by Tim Markham, Renee by my son Renee, and Naveed by my son Naveed Zaman. The fortune teller was supposed to be voiced by Sophie Cope-Rubia, but my mental health has been bad enough that instead, she's voiced by my sister M, who takes fewer spoons to contact. Em also voices the ref this week. Shauna Zamugo voices Lucas's two lines, Omar Gomez voices Deaf, and Casey Armstrong voices Kerr. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app, rate the pod five stars, and check out The Chance and Stuff for random bonus content and updates. If you're feeling impatient for the next chapters, feel free to check out the written version on fanfiction.net and Archive of Our Own via the links in the description. Sadly, uh, if you don't know how to read, you'll just have to wait. Otherwise, see you next time.